Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. You can turn to the book of James, chapter number five today. And we are glad to have Sister Jessup. And from my understanding, she will turn 88 years old tomorrow. 88 years old. Can we, can we strike up an old, uh, the old church one, the old church happy birthday. Can we do that? Amen. 88 years. She's, a, I believe, the oldest among us. Amen. Let's strike it up today. A happy birthday to you. A happy birthday to you. May you feel Jesus near every day of the year. A happy birthday to you. A happy birthday to you. And the best year that you've ever had. Amen. 88 years upon this earth is something to be spoken of. Amen. And we're just going to wait till we sing a happy century to you. Amen. So we're glad to have her this morning. Amen. Continue to pray for her and her body. Amen. Even today, she's dealing with some things she said, and so we need to remember, amen, her in prayer. Amen. This morning, also, I was telling the uh, uh, leadership in the back, as you leave this morning on that little table to the left, there's these little cards about that size, little square cards. And this is basically uh, concerning Princess Within, Princess Within conferences, which are uh, the prison conferences that we do in women's state prisons all across America. And uh, there's a little QR code on the back for uh, perhaps maybe donating to Princess Within or even they have merch and things now. I was showing, Brother Malone has one of the shirts, but uh, it shows Princess Within almost like you would concerts and it shows on the back then every state that we have been in. Uh, we celebrated this past week uh, with Sister Karen Reinhardt, kind of did a surprise party on her of 10 years of having going into women's prisons uh, and having these type of conferences. 17 states we've been in, 44 conferences we have had. And over 350 women have been baptized in Jesus' name. And over 1,400 have received the gift of the Holy Ghost in the past 10 years. Amen. Of doing Princess Within prison conferences. And so, uh, again, you're already a part of that because Sister McGee and I are are vested in that. As, as I was looking at those states, there's only two of those states we didn't go to. One we were scheduled to go to, and it was right in COVID, and we had kids, and we couldn't just leave them at home without somebody, but no one could come over. And so uh, we weren't at the Alaska trip or the Arkansas, but all other 15 states we had been in, and several of them multiple times. Amen. And so that if you want to invest in that, that's a great investment. You know, there's over 2 million people in the United States that's incarcerated over 2 million. As a matter of fact, a quarter of the full population that is in prison, a quarter of them are right here in the United States. Amen. So it is a field. It is a field. Amen. For, for harvest just as much as any other field of our community or towns that we have. Amen. So that's just something to be mindful of. And you can get merch and stuff. Make heaven crowded is another shirt. I know that they have and hoodies and Anything that you can dream of. I know we got church merch, and now there's merch everywhere, right? Uh, but if you like stuff like that, you can go, and it will help. Amen. The prison, uh, the, the prison conferences. James chapter number 5. James chapter number 5. Uh, just give you an idea. A typical conference costs about $5,000. Typical conference costs about $5,000 of the things that we give them, and, and just sometimes we're... Uh, renting music and soundboards and different stuff because not all places have that. So it's about somewhere around there uh, just to give you an idea of the expense. Amen. James chapter number 5, I'm going to begin with verse number 7, and I'm going to read down, amen, for a few verses here today. The Bible says, be patient. Everyone say, be patient. Therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and have long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Draw nigh. Grudge not 
one against another. Brethren, lest ye be condemned, behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And I'm going to just stop there uh, this morning, Brother Mason. I want to talk to you today about being patient. And, and you know, someone says, that's the last thing I want to hear amen about. But more so, it's being patient with the mindset that the coming of the Lord is nigh. It's being patient in that context because that's the context really that James is speaking to uh, the 12 dispersed tribes at this moment. He's talking about them being patient with the mindset that the coming of the Lord is approaching or that it is nigh. And so that's what I'm going to talk about today. And I'll probably talk maybe a little bit more next week uh, along something else that we need to be conscious of concerning the coming of the Lord being nigh. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I love you today. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for this opportunity. We're grateful, Lord, for the spirit of the Holy Ghost that we have felt in this place today in the songs, how they have ministered, Lord, to us at the level of our souls. I pray, God, as we have, Lord, given praise and worship, Lord, we have felt that. God, boomerang back, Lord, to us, and it has, Lord, encouraged us, and it's uplifted our spirits. I pray now, God, speak to us, Lord, through your word. God, for it is a certain word. It is a sure and established word in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. And the church say amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus name. So whereas James is a very practical book and it is, if you were to read all five chapters of the book of James, it gives us some very practical information and instruction uh, for our lives but as he's coming to the close of his book, he, he's underscoring even back then. And I think this is important, that James is underscoring the coming of the Lord even back then. And uh, for some, we're like, why would he so much underscore the coming of the Lord? We're trying to underscore it now, and there's been... Thousands of years that have, have passed and a lot of water has, has ran under the bridge. But even then, he was, he was imploring the people concerning their patience in light of the coming of the Lord. And here's one thing I can derive from this, is that if James thought it was important enough to underscore the coming of the Lord then, then it must be even more so important for me and my generation to underscore the coming of the Lord. And one reason why we do this in every generation is because the coming of the Lord is, is as we would say, is it's imminent. No man knows the day nor the hour, but it's always at the, 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 the point of, of happening. It's always at the point of happening, and that could be any time. And so he speaks to them about the coming of the Lord. He is a pastor. He's the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, uh, James is. He's the half-brother of Jesus Christ. That might be another reason why he would underscore uh, the coming of the Lord. Uh, he is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. But he is, he is focusing on the idea of us and our patience as we wait on or as we tread some water for the coming of the Lord. He will, and I'll probably talk about this next week, because not only does he underscore the fact that we must be patient, but he also, in, in the closing of the chapter, underscores how we need to be prayerful. That there needs to be this, 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 this two, this two-sided coin of patience and prayerfulness whenever we're considering the coming of the Lord. And so he tells us, and this is important, and we know this, but allow me to just, just uh, reiterate some things today. That our Christian life that we live right now, it is not a sprint. It's not a 50-yard dash. It's not like a short distance. We're starting at a line. We're in a line. It's boom and done. This Christian life that we live in many ways is a marathon. It's like a cross-country event. There are some highs and there are some lows. There are some terrain that's a little bit more rugged than others, and there's other places that are level. But it is a marathon. That's the reason why the Scripture says, He that endureth until the end, the same shall be saved. 
saved. And so maybe there could be someone here this morning that are at a place that you just need to catch your second wind for the next mile or quarter of a mile. And there's going to be other times you're going to be exhausted as though you don't have the strength to pick. The muscles in your legs are going to be burning, so to speak, that you don't have the strength to pick them up and put them back down. But if you can just remind yourself that there is a finish line out there. I can't see it maybe from this vantage point. I can't see it from where I'm currently at in the race. But there is a finish line out there. There is an end to all of this. There is a celebration, right? There is a celebration. And in this race, it's not about whether you're first and it's not about whether or not you're last. It's about whether or not you finish. It's about whether or not you finish. So if, you, if, there's, if there's 500 of you and you come in 500th place and you cross the line, then, then the reward for you is no different than the one that comes across the line first. It's about finishing. And so that's the type of mentality we got to have in this Christian life. That is, we want to finish. We want to come on the other side of this thing, Sister Melian, and hear him say, well done, thy good and thy faithful, amen, servant. It's about finishing. And so whenever James begins his whole book back in chapter 1, he even underscores the fact in his letter that he's trying to talk to us about our faith our faith in God, our, our faith in the precepts of God. And he even tells us that faith, our faith works patience. Our faith works patience. And if we will allow it, and allow is a big word because that means there's permission on your part. Hmm? If you, Dad, will you allow me to do this? They're looking for some type of sanction. They're looking for permission, right? So the allowance is a big thing. You're, you're permitting something. And if you will allow patience to have its perfect work, and the word perfect, of course, meaning complete, its whole work, have its whole work, then it will do something for us. It, it will allow us be, to be able to finish the race. It will allow us to be able to cross the line. But he, he's, trying, he's trying to tell us from the beginning to the end, this idea of patience is working us toward a finish line of the coming of the Lord. This idea of being patient in all things, enduring hardships and enduring troubles and enduring, if you will, even schisms that sometimes happen within the body. And it's all working us toward an end of the coming of the Lord. Amen. And he often mentions in Scripture, he often mentions here the idea of the brethren. James is identifying with where the people are living. He's talking to the 12 tribes that are dispersed at this moment. Persecution had entered the church at Jerusalem. As a result of the persecution, it caused the people to kind of divide up and disperse here and there. And we could look at that in a very negative sense. Oh, there's a dividing of them. But the positive thing of the dispersion of the church is that that forced them into cities, countries, and areas that they would not have went had it not been for the persecution. And so the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ began to spread predominantly because the church at Jerusalem was persecuted. And because of their uneasiness with what was going on at Jerusalem, they went to various places, but they did not just go and hide out. But they took the same message that they were taught and what they were learned at Jerusalem, and they took it to these places that they were dispersed to. And so he's identifying with these people now that live in different areas. That they are dispersed and what they have experienced. And he's telling them some things about the coming of the Lord. And he's telling them to be patient in some of the things that they're having to endure at these various localities that they are now at. The Bible says in Luke 18 and verse 8, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, here's the question, shall he find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, when the Lord comes back for his people, will he find faith on the earth? Amen. He understands, he understands, amen, that whenever Peter was being tried, Jesus even told Peter, he said, Peter, he said, Satan desires to have you and to sift you as wheat. He's wanting to sift you, amen, as wheat. He says, but I have prayed, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that thy faith fail not. 
Thy faith fail not, Peter, because whenever all of this sifting is done and the trial and the persecution, the tribulation is done, he says, I want you to still to have maintained your faith. And so James is speaking to a similar group of people whose faith is being tried. Listen, today in America, our faith is being tried. The very core, the very foundational stones of our faith Amen. Our, our targets, if you will. Amen. Today, the church's faith, the, the faith of the world is being tried today. And the Lord wants to know when I come back, will there be someone that still has a grasp or a finger or a toe, if you will, on the faith that I delivered unto the saints, right? Did not Jude in his book tell us that we must earnestly contend? Huh? We must earnestly contend for the faith. There is no generation, no year, no service where we cannot be contending for the faith. Amen. The faith which was once delivered, it's been delivered once and it's the same faith that we have held and clave to all these years. We're, we don't have a different faith than what they had on the day of Pentecost. This is the, it was delivered once, it will not be delivered again. But it's up to us to maintain and keep a grasp and a hold on that once delivered faith. Amen. Hoping that whenever he returns, he'll still find faith on the earth and the lives of those that are faithful in the lives of those that are faithful. But in that, you and I know that we're going to face trial. We're going to face tribulation. We're going to face persecution. Problems are going to arise, and they will try your faith. But the Bible says that tribulation worketh our patience. It worketh our patience, and it does, don't it? And we ask the question sometimes in those moments, how long, Lord? Or how much longer, Lord? And so one of the, the bedrock stones of our faith is our patience, our ability to endure, our ability to, to withhold and stand and be steadfast. And James is emphasizing how important it is to keep patience in light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. To keep our endurance in light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've already made uh, reference to it. But Matthew 24, 13 says. But he that shall endure unto the end. The same shall be saved. And he goes on though. In our, our, our passage this morning. Verse number 7. Talking about the husbandman. Or a farmer. That waited for the precious fruit of the earth. You cannot. You cannot be a gardener or a farmer and be impatient. You, you've got the wrong occupation if you're a husbandman and you are impatient. If you're one of those turnkey people that want a result in the moment, don't become a farmer. Don't become a farmer. He's out there early spring and he's preparing soil and he's turning over hard clods of ground that have been seized up all winter and he's disking and he's, he's making headway and then he's going out there planting seed in the ground which he has a little better now than what they did generations ago but nonetheless he's still spending hours out there planting seed in the ground and then between then and late fall by and large outside of putting some maybe pesticides or other things out there, he's waiting. He's waiting. And he cannot get impatient. Let's, let's assume that he would get impatient and say, well, it just, hasn't, it just didn't take in the ground. So I'm going to go back and disc all of that up and I'm going to plant seed again. If he was impatient, he could do that now until Jesus comes. No pun intended. But he could do that now until Jesus comes just because his impatience got the better of him thinking that he needed to start over when really all he needs to do is maintain what he started. Amen. Listen, some of us are not at the start over point. We're just at the point we got to be patient with maintaining what we started. Amen. Patient with what we started. Amen. And so uh, James is, is concentrating then on this husband and that is waiting for the precious fruit of the, the, the earth. And look, we don't like this. He says, and half long. Everybody say long. Long patience. I mean, if patience wasn't enough, you start talking about long patience. 
And that's almost intimidating to a certain degree. Long patience until he received the early and the latter rain. And so here's the thing. If we just if we're just going to emboldening the waiting, just just wait, wait, wait. Here's what we got to understand. What are you waiting for? We're not just waiting to wait. This is not a purposeless wait, right? Because I don't think anybody necessarily enjoys a purposeless wait, right? It's like, what's the deal? But if there's a purpose behind the wait, then that helps us with the waiting, huh? If there's purpose to it. So we're not just waiting, but we're waiting because there is a, for the husband, there is precious fruit. There is a harvest that's coming, huh? And so I might be a little bit more settled to be able to wait if I know there's precious fruit coming. There's a harvest coming. And likewise, as a church, we might be able to wait a little bit more if we know that there is an hour where the trump of God shall sound and the corruptible shall put on incorruption and the mortal shall put on immortality and will be changed from the land of whatever to the land of nevermore or no more, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more so on and so forth. And so I can wait, but, and whenever we understand this, listen, I guarantee you whenever it becomes late fall in September and October and that farmer's out there with the combine around here gathering in all of those bushels and bushels and bushels and bushels of corn, I guarantee you as he's gathering that in, he's not thinking about the months between seed time and harvest time that he had to wait because what he gets in the harvest, amen, that wait period is swallowed Swallowed up. The agony of the waiting is swallowed up in the joy of the harvest. Folks, they say it sometimes at funeral. One of these days, it's just going to be this. It's going to be a hallelujah over here and a hallelujah over there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. And the waiting will be over. But we got to endure in order to see the harvest. Amen. There's, there's a pending harvest and it bolsters our ability to endure. There is a pending coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it helps me, amen, to just nudge my way through in this world whenever things are not very advantageous for me. He says he's going to wait with a long waiting until he receives the early and the latter rains. Now, the early rains would come. The early rains would come around seed time as they were seeding the ground, and it would help make the ground, and this was just nature in the Middle East. It would help make the ground pliable. It would help soften the ground for the planting of the seed, and this was the doing of God. Whenever you see that heaven was shut up at different times, whether at seed time or harvest time, that is always the doing of God. And sometimes it was withheld because of the rebellion of his people or sin that was in the nation of Israel. It's one way that he got their attention. It's one way that he got their attention. But the early rains would soften the ground for planting and they could sow and that moisture could get around the seed, that shell of a seed and soften it and cause it to break loose and germinate. But then the latter rains in the latter portion of the harvest was there to help mature and bring that crop to full fruition or to head, so to speak, to mature it all the way. And so the farmer didn't determine when these rains would happen necessarily. He just hoped that they would happen. The Bible says in their proper season and in their proper time. But in that, guess what he had to do? Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. And it was different for Israel. And I'm, I feel like I'm just really dragging my feet today and we're not going to get very far in glory. Amen. But it was different, different for Israel whenever they were in Egyptian bondage compared to whenever they would come to their promised land. The Bible says, and you can read with me in Deuteronomy 11 and verse 10. This verse 10, this, it speaks to them about the, the land of Egypt, how it happened, and what's going to take place whenever they are no longer there. The Bible says, and just a little lengthy reading here, for the land whither thou goest in to possess it is not as the land of Egypt. Uh, this nation is going to inherit Canaan, but Canaan is different from Egypt, from when she came out of. Where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as gardens of herbs. Now, it might seem weird. I've never seen anybody water anything with their foot. I mean, when's the last time you've seen a water can on somebody's foot? We just don't do it like that. But what he's talking about is Egypt had the Nile River that was running through it. It had a water source that was running through it. And you see it today. 
I know we have irrigation systems, but they would, watering it with your foot was dragging a ditch from the Nile River to where your seed was and allowing the Nile River, making a canal, so to speak, with your foot so it would water the seed that you had from the ground. He said, when you was in Egypt, you watered it with your foot. That, that's how you took care of irrigation. He says in verse 11, but the land whether ye go to possess it, it is a land of hills and valleys and drink of water of the rain of heaven. See, something's different here. See, in Egypt, you're going to be able to take care of the water yourself. But in Canaan, you're going to have to depend upon God to take care of the water. See, this, see over here, this is, this is you do what you can do. But over here, this is by faith, you trust God to take care of it. Said Egypt's not like Canaan. Where you once were is not like where you're at. This is a faith walk. This is a faith walk. And I found in this faith walk, I get myself in trouble when I still try to live like I'm in Egypt, and that is take care of things myself. Rather than to live and walk, as Brother Mason finishes many of the services around here, we walk by faith, not by, right? A faith walk. Because with the hills and valleys, I'm not, I'm not drudging a canal from any river. No, no, there's only one canal that can be drudged. And that's going to come from heaven. That's going to come from a heavenly source. He says, so you're going to drink water of the rain of heaven. Verse 11, verse 12. A land which the Lord thy God careth for. For the eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it. Here's, here's a major difference, folks. He says, you're going to be living in a land that the Lord cares for. You're going to be living in a land that the Lord's eyes are always upon. From the beginning of the year, even to the end of the year. You're going to be positioned in a place that the Lord watches out for. And if the, uh, we used to say in evangelizing, uh, because, you know, your income was all over the place. Uh, it was feast and famine is what we called it. We said if it was God's will, it was God's bill. <laughs> that man, if he wanted us to go there, he's going to take care of us. I don't know, really know how. I know the bank account doesn't say it's going to happen, but if it's God's will, it's God's bill. In other words, if his eyes is favorable upon that place, then he's going to take care of it and what is necessary and to propagate it or move it forward. Verse 13, and it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken, look, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to the love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all of your soul, that I will give you, God says, I will give you the rain of your land in his due season. The first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn. What is this? This is the product of the land because of the rain. Because you had faith that God was going to do it. You'll gather in your corn and your wine and your oil. I'll send grass in thy fields for your cattle, for your livestock, that thou mayest eat and be full. He says, take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived. And ye turn aside. Well, what's he saying? Wait. He's saying, wait. Don't be deceived in the moment that your patience is lacking, that you'll seek out other avenues. Huh? Because we live as, as humans and some, yeah, as humans. Amen, not aliens. Amen. We live as humans, some of us more than others. That there must be plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. And if plan A and B fell, we got C. But you know what? Sometimes in the Christian life, you can do that and there's not another plan to go to. The plan is wait. The plan is watch the hand of God. It, my bank account sometimes can't underwrite what I go through. The plan is faith. My health sometimes can't underwrite, amen, the, the, the difficulty or the diagnosis. What it has to be sometimes is faith. I can't drag my foot and make a canal, amen, for a watering source that I need in this moment of my life. What I need is faith. And sometimes that requires patience. Oh, it requires patience. But it's not a purposeless waiting. Because God tells us, I'll give you rain. Take heed to yourselves. I give you rain. Don't be deceived as though you got to seek out another alternative. Someone hear me today. Don't deceive yourself that you have to seek out an alternate alternative. If God is your water source, 
And if you're among the land that his eyes upon, if you're living in the place that he wants you to be living, and how, huh? Then his eyes upon, he will send you rain in due season. Don't, don't be deceived. Don't turn aside. Don't serve other gods. Don't worship them. Verse 17, and then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you. Don't do that because God kind of feels a little offended when we seek out alternatives to him. He gets offended when we don't have the faith in him that he'll do it, that he'll take care of it. He says, because when you seek out the alternatives, he says, the Lord's wrath, that, that makes him a little bit upset. I don't, I don't guess they had as much confidence in me as they said they had in me. I guess they don't believe what I've said is true. And that he would then shut up the heaven and there be no rain. That the land yield not her fruit lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord gives you. He says, no, 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 just wait. See, there's, there's a difference in waiting on rain and God then not giving any rain. If you're waiting, it's just a point of time of when it comes. But if you've offended God, it's him. He's withholding until you make things right with the one that's the giver of it. Amen. So there's a difference between Egypt and a difference between the land of promise. Amen. And so Israel would receive their reign based upon primarily their relationship with God. And that required faith. And that also required patience. Amen. Whenever it speaks of patience, and I'll be mindful of time here today. When it speaks of patience, when it speaks of waiting, it's not speaking in terms of patience, of waiting for something to happen, but rather a steadfast endurance while things are happening. Patience in Scripture is the, the fact of us pressing on regardless what's happening or not happening. There's two different Greek words that are used for our English words, patience, or also that is translated as endurance in these verses. The first four times when you read it in verses 7 through 10, that, that the word patience or the word endurance crops up. These words are used, they, they are a Greek word that means long suffering, which does not retaliate upon oppressive people. People. And then when you read the last two times, it's used in verse number 11. It's a word that is derived from the Greek that means endurance, which, is, which does not succumb under oppressive things. So, Patience on one hand is how we interact and deal with people. And patience on another hand is how we deal with oppressive things in our life. Patience on the one hand, is, we could call it also long suffering. We suffer long with people. Patience is not retaliating. That's good. Right? Because we're all about self-defense. But patience, when you're thinking about the coming of the Lord, he says, is twofold. It's how you're patient with people and then how you're patient with the oppressive things that come in your life, circumstances, situations. With people, you got to be long-suffering. With people, you, you, you got to refrain from retaliation. Why? Because the Lord's coming. And there will not be a schism in his body. In consideration of the coming of the Lord, I got to iron out the schisms between me and Zach. Because there will not be a schism in his body if I'm to be his at his coming. So I got to have long suffering. Patience. That's not retaliating, but kind of chalks it up to, you know what? Maybe he's just having a bad day. Maybe things are just not going right. Maybe there's some things I just really don't know in his life. And that's the reason why he spoke to me the way he did. Because with the coming of the Lord and I, I can't afford. I can't afford to bear a grudge. I, 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 
Lord to sit in service and cast my eyes over my shoulder with a grimace on my face because of what he said or what he did. No, no, I can't. With the coming of the Lord now, with the coming of the Lord now, I, 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 can't, I can't entertain those type of things. I gotta have long suffering. I just gotta chalk it up to something and have a heart of forgiveness and just forgiving and whatever needs to work out, he'll work out with him and God. But with the coming of the Lord now, this, it's not gonna be a divided body he comes back for. It's not gonna be a divided bride. No, 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 no. It's one that's made herself ready. She's gonna make sure everything is in place and everything, amen, every wrinkle's ironed out, every... I, I got to be patient with one another. I got to be long suffering with one another. Patience, which means I'm suffering long, not retaliating. It's hard to throw up. It's hard to throw up the surrender flag, isn't it? I'd rather throw up the bayonet. Charge! It's hard to throw up the the surrender flag. Amen. But also, verse 11 says that our endurance and our patience then is that we're going to endure. We're not going to succumb then, meaning that we're not going to succumb under the oppressive things. Not people. Things. Circumstances. Situations. So long-suffering a lot of times has to do with respect to people while endurance, patience in that aspect refers to our patience with respect to our conditions, our situations. <sighs> and this is why James then refers both to the prophets and he also refers to Job, who holds a book by his own name in Scripture. And he refers really to these two, the prophets and Job, to illustrate both of these types of patience with people and with circumstances through the lives of these individuals of Old Testament Scripture. Amen. The persecuted prophets exhibited one one aspect of patience and the afflicted Job exhibited another aspect of patience. Amen. Look, if you will, at verse number 9. It says, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. And he moves it in a little closer here. At first, James tells us that we're being patient because unto the coming of the Lord. And when he starts talking about these personal schisms and grudges among the brethren, he says, you know, lest you be condemned, he said, behold, the judge standeth before the door. You know, he makes it a little bit more near and nigh. He, he makes an emphasis as though he, he's right there. And so we got to watch this. Judge not. Judge not. And so it's not difficult then to see why this is appropriate at this particular point. Because the Christians at this time, what are they? They were under major persecution. Major persecution by other people, right? That was treating them uh, uh, incorrectly and with, with not the love of God. They were under severe pressure. And so, uh, you know, the edges on their life became a little frayed. You know, they're, they're, they're like a garment that's about wore out. You understand what I'm talking about? Amen. Phrase here and phrase there. And so he had to tell them, I know that's going on, but I, and you, you, you see that because that's right now all around you. He said, but take a moment and think about the coming of the Lord. You cannot be holding grudges. You, 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 you can't get in a position like that. Less that, less that type of mentality and unforgiveness in your life would somehow undercut, hey man, your ability to go when the trump sounds. He says, you, you, you can't be doing that. He says, you're going to have to be, you're going to have to be long tempered. In other words, he said, you're going to have to have a long wick. You know, those little, you, you know, we're coming around 4th of July, the, the little ready finger firecrackers, you light them and let go of them quick because they burn quick and they got short wicks. James said, some of y'all like ready finger firecrackers. You can't light it and hold on to it because it'll explode. He says, well, you all need some long wicks. You need some long wicks. Amen. Because sometimes it's easier, tell me if I'm wrong, it's easier to be patient sometimes with circumstances than it is with people. <laughs> right? Because with circumstances, you, you don't really know the target. <laughs> you don't really know the origin or the source. 
You might have a general idea, but you really don't know the origin. But it seems like with people, I know. Do you? But do you? I know because Brother Zach was blah, blah, blah. But do I really know the source? He may have been the conduit, but the source could have been further back in his own life. Further back was something he dealt with that was actually the place of origin. It's just that he's trying to deal with something he was dealt with. And as a result of it, it caused me to deal with something he was dealing with too. But I only see that Zach's the target. I'm less patient with him. Because I know him. He goes to church with me. Huh? And I've been noticing here, little lady, lately he's been such and such anyway. And we think that's about us when it's really about what he's been dealing with. I can't get, let that get in my crawl. Because the Lord is coming. I, I can't allow that. Amen. Hallelujah. And maybe it's because sometimes we feel like we have more influence over people than we do over our circumstances. I'd set him in his place. I'd take care of business. Hmm? Oh, someone say Amen. But I want to caution us today not to mis- mislabel our circumstances, not to mislabel where the pressure's coming from. The Bible says, and, and I'm going to have to close today here soon, 2 Corinthians, but I'm far from being done, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse number 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure. Listen, let's not mislabel things. Watch it now. Paul says, lest I should be exalted above measure. He had went to the third heaven. He talked about things. He didn't know if it was even lawful for him to talk about. He had experienced such glorious things. He was like, you know, he, even whenever he talked of it, he almost spoke in a different, a different perspective. He says, I know a man. He didn't say it was him. He was kind of very elusive how he talked about it because of what he experienced. He said, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me, a thorn in the flesh. Look! How Paul labels his thorn. A mess, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. Look at this now. For this thing, what? This thorn. What's he labeled it? The message of of Satan to buffet me. He said, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And look what God says unto Paul. God said unto him, my Thorn was never removed. Let me say it like this. What Paul called the message of Satan, the messenger of Satan to buffet him, God called grace. He says, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The thorn was never taken away. Never taken away. But that wasn't so much a message of Satan as it was the grace of God. Because had Paul got exalted about what he experienced and seen and became arrogant and prideful, that would have been, that would have been more detrimental to Paul than the thorn that he had in his flesh. The thorn that he had in his flesh kept him humble. And that was God's grace at work in his life. That if you're going to experience this, then I'm going to have to give you something that keeps you tempered from getting too prideful and arrogant. Because it would be worse for you to be prideful than for you to have a thorn in your flesh. So Paul's thorn in his flesh, a messenger, Satan, he called it. Amen. But again, God seems to be labeling it his grace. Amen. Job 42 and verse number five. I'm watching it. Job 42 and verse number five. Job says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Job, right? We read the first few verses on Job, and we're like, what a man. What a man. He's perfect. He is upright before the Lord. And then the bottom falls out, right? 
I mean, the things that he owns, camels and cattle and donkeys and his family is just totally decimated. All these trials and afflictions and basically all of this caused him to know God in the end in a way that he had not known God before. That's hard to compute. Job knew God in a way after his trial that he didn't know God before his trial. The verse even bears it out. He said, I heard, I heard of thee by hearing. This is Job's testimony. Before all this affliction came and circumstances went belly up, I heard, I heard thee, I heard thee by the hearing of the ear. I heard about God and God's a good God and I heard this and we rallied around that and all of that. But he says now here at the closure in Job 42, but now, since I went through some affliction." since I've lost my family, since I've lost my health, since I've lost all of the livestock and things that I've had, since I spent seven days on the dust and I defiled my horn in the dust, since I had three comfortless friends that could not help me, now because of all of that, my eye seeth thee. Before this happened, I heard about you, but now I see you, I know you for who you are. What brought that about in Job's life? It was his turmoil, his problems, his persecution, his trouble. Let me tell you something, folks. You'll never know God like we need to know God until you face some stuff. We really only hear about him, but once you go through some stuff, you're going to see him. Amen. You're going to know a God you never knew. Amen. Because why? Because you're going to understand it's drought. But I couldn't produce rain myself. And God sent the rain. That's a God you never knew. But it took a drought to reveal the faith that you patiently held on to. Amen. To showcase a God that was always there. But through persecution and trial, it was trying your faith and perfecting your faith and your patience. Amen. Stay with me this morning. I'll close. I'm I'm not done. I'm not done. That's all right. I'm used to not finishing many things. He says, but now my eye has seen you. Brother Malone, and I know you said several times, you, you like the book of Job, you can resonate with that. If you ever say, man, I want to know God like Job knew God. Well, get ready. Was he tempted to lose his patience? I would say absolutely. If his own wife can come to him and say, Job, why don't you curse God and die? What was that? That was the easy way out. There may be someone here this morning that's been praying for death. Because it's the easy way out. Man, I feel a witness of the Spirit right now. In your mind, it would just be better to already be dead than to go on with what you're facing. But if you can be patient, the God that sends the early rain can send the latter rain. You can be patient. The coming of the Lord is nigh. If you can be patient, patient, you'll learn of a God that you've never known once this is all over and once this is all said and done. But you're going to have to be, you're going to have to be patient. It means you're going to have to endure. How much, Brother McGee, am I going to have to endure? I wish I could, I wish I could sit down with each of you and just, you know, build up some plan on paper and say, we're going to have to endure this, this, and this, and tell you everything that you're going to have to endure in this life. You know what? I, God's not given me that ability, nor do I believe he'll give anyone that particular ability. Because part of our patience and endurance is sticking with it when we don't know what is approaching our lives. When we can't see the storm coming, but we've already tethered ourselves saying, come what may. Come what may. If we bow our heads today, I want someone to be encouraged this morning. Someone be encouraged today.
You can make it. You can make it. You can hold on to your faith. I'm not going at a very fast right now, Brother McGee. That's all right. Let me ask you this. Are you determined to finish? Are you ter- determined to finish? My breath is a little baited right now, Brother McGee. I'm having a hard time getting my breath with everything that's going on. That's okay. Again, just let me ask you, are you determined to finish? Be careful when you're running quite swiftly and you pass up your neighbors in the body of Christ. Because as life would have it and our Christian journey would have it, someday they're going to set you in the rear of your mirror too because... You'll be at different stages. But Hebrews tells us that there is a great cloud of witnesses. There's a great cloud of witnesses. And so we must run this race with patience. And that great cloud of witnesses are those that have already went before us. It's those that have already received their arrest. It's those that have already that have transferred from here to glory. And if we could hear the voices of that cloud of witness, you know what they're saying? They're saying, keep it up, Fred McGee. They're saying, keep going, James Malone. They're saying, don't look behind you, Erica. They're saying, press on, Jennifer. Why? Because they've already finished the race. And they know the highs and the lows that they face. That others are going to face as well. But they want someone not to be impatient and give up. Turn around. Abandon course. Hear the voices of the cloud of witnesses today. They're hollering at us from the heavens saying, You can make it. (laughs) You can make it. Coming to the Lord is near. You can make it. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. (laughs) You can make it. This altar is open this morning. This altar is open this morning for somebody that may need a word of encouragement that they can find it in an altar of prayer today that God would encourage and bolster your spirit that you know what, I, I, I can endure. Oh, I can endure. I, Lord, I can't, I can't create this. I can't change this on my own. But God, I have faith in you that you'll send the rain that I need in its proper season. God, according to my estimation, I need it right now. I need it right now. But God, I know there's a proving going on right now. I know there's a God being revealed to me that I didn't know before this trial. But the trial's revealing an aspect and a facet of God that I've not grasped my hand upon. I'm being taught patience in this moment I'm being taught endurance in this moment help me oh God today come on sir come on ma'am hallelujah you can walk this journey upon this earth you don't have to beg God to take you from this life you don't have to entertain thoughts amen of life being over and as you go to funerals wishing you were the one in the casket no 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 I'm here to tell you today our God is faithful his eye is upon you it's upon your circumstance it's upon your dilemma have faith in God have faith in God oh let's talk to him this morning I love you Jesus I love you oh yes thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC again that's FACMC Thank you and have a blessed day.